0: Ephesians chapter 2 today. Paul's little letter to this church at Ephesus and really the kind of the surrounding area, he takes the first first three chapters really to give us some good, solid scriptural doctrine on salvation and a few other items, and then takes the next three chapters really to to apply it in our lives. We're going to look at the second chapter today, the first ten verses, probably some portion at least will be pretty familiar to almost everybody. We're going to read that in a little bit, so so let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, come upon us today as we look into this wonderful portion of your word. Fill our minds with the things of grace. Fill our hearts with the things of grace. Lord, open our eyes to this truth that we would not walk away from this unchanged. But in the midst of this, your spirit would descend upon us and touch us, remind us who you are, and what you have done for us, that we would never be the same. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll start with a little history lesson before we uh, uh, get into that particular passage. It was sometime during uh, the day of October 31st in 1517, the day before the Feast of uh, All Saints, that a 33-year-old monk named Martin Luther posted a document on the door of the church at Wittenberg. Um... For you German scholars, you'll notice I say Wittenberg instead of Wittenberg. Uh, Never mind. Okay. (laughs) If I was being really serious, I'd say Luther instead of Luther. Um, But it was a common practice at that day if you wanted to have a discussion. If you wanted to deal with some theological issue, you would go to the church door and you would post... a a notice of debate or what they call disputation on the door. And Martin Luther put this up on the door and and some copies of it were disseminated to some of his friends and disseminated about the church uh, proper at that time. And um, the early months of 1518, um, although the topic was never actually debated at Wittenberg, the word had spread and Luther had become a big troublemaker. Because he, in that posting of the 95 Thesis, as it became known, really was stirring the pot of the church that day. And what really made this possible at that time was an event that happened, oh, just a few, few years before. And, and if you remember, uh, now I'm going to really ask you to think, if you remember way back years and years ago, uh, we did a, a little thing on the 100 most important events in the last millennium. Anybody remember reading that list? There are 100 most important people in the last millennium, okay? And the most important event in the last 1,000 years was Gutenberg's movable type, okay? Now, there have been other people throughout history in the early years, uh, Tyndale and, and some others, who had tried to promote this, um, this uh, type of reformation in the church, and it hadn't gone anywhere, But one of the determining factors in the success of this was the fact that they could reproduce the writings of Martin Luther and other reformers very quickly, and word spread. And what was one of the most common ways that the theology of the reformers spread? Music. Do you know how many verses there are to Mighty Fortress? You think, what we sang Four. Oh, I think there are 17. Okay? And it just goes on and on and on. Now imagine we still be singing it. Okay? My lip would not blast through seventeen verses of Mighty Fortress, I can tell you that. Okay? But Martin Luther's theology and challenge to the church in general spread like wildfire and led to big trouble. Now the issue at hand, what triggered Luther's posting the, the ninety-five thesis on the door at Wittenberg was the abuse of the sale of indulgences, the abuse of the sale of indulgences. Now, indulgences were meant to relax or even commute the sinner's work of satisfaction. That's a fancy way of saying, if you paid some money, you could get out of the punishment of your sin. Okay. Now, I'll, I'll be at the door accepting cash, <laughs> okay, After, afterwards, <laughs> Oh, unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. You can't buy your way out of punishment, of sin. Now, this was a common practice. I mean, by the late 11th century, uh, we see those who are going off to the Crusades. They were uh, absolved of their temporal sins in this world because they were devoting themselves to what was considered to be a holy work at that time. But with anything that man creates or anything that man gets his hands into, abuses began to seep through. So what happened was these permits, as the indulgences were called, um, were being offered and they were being sold uh, for for anything. If somebody wanted to raise money for a particular uh, project, then a, uh, a permit was given to sell indulgences. And you could come to a town, like somebody would come to uh, Huntsville and uh, set up shop basically and sell indulgences and we could get out of uh, punishment of of our sin a certain portion if you gave enough money i guess hypothetically you could get out of all the punishment of your sin but what's the problem with that i mean there are a lot of problems with that hasn't that already been taken care of the sacrifice of christ doesn't doesn't that when when that grace comes upon our life isn't the punishment for our sin now paid by christ and we read that together the sin from one man Adam was paid for by the sacrifice of one, Jesus the Christ. Well, Luther attacked the abuse of the indulgences in his sermons, in his counseling, and finally in the 95 Thesis. He wrote later that one clings to the divine promise of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, who by his life, death, and resurrection liberated humankind from all punishment for sin. One lives by trusting in Christ alone. The Reformation for the next, well, it's been 500 years now, has been propelled by these five things that, that really came out of this. By faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, by scripture alone, and to God alone be the glory. They're called the five solos, the solos of the Reformation. Okay, And today we're looking at grace alone. That there is no other way of salvation except by grace alone. It is not of our works. It is not of anything we could do. Because if it was something that we could do, then we could do what? Could boast. Look what I did. Okay? I know Christ did most of it, but look, I had a little hand in it. Okay? I had a little hand in it. And if, if I wasn't there to just get us right over the edge, then the work of Christ would not have been enough. Grace would not have been enough. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, Randy, you didn't have a hand in your salvation. It was grace. It was the work of Christ. As if I, in my sinful state, could add anything to the perfect Lamb of God. Just simply impossible. Simply impossible. And you thought today was Halloween, didn't you? This is a Reformation Sunday. Reformation Sunday. Now, today is not about candy, although there's nothing wrong with chocolate, I have to say. Nothing wrong with chocolate. And today is not about that very small segment of, the, of our society and, and the world as a, whole, as a whole that sees the 31st of October as a special high holy day for the worship of the God of this world. Okay, don't, don't mistake anything. Halloween is cool, but there are people who take Halloween very seriously because they're worshiping somebody else. They're not here worshiping our Heavenly Father. They're worshiping the God of this world. Today is about grace. Today is about the power that comes upon us when we belong to Christ. It is a gift that is undeserved to we who are so undeserving of that gift. We cannot earn it. It's a gift that comes right from the very throne of grace to we who are sinful. We who are the enemies of God because it says "When well, while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. Today is about what has been poured out upon us in quantities unmeasurable. So great and so rich, so beyond our ability to grasp what the Lord has done is this grace that comes upon us. We cannot earn it. We cannot do anything ourselves. In fact, we can't even resist it. Okay, If the Lord decides that he is going to call you by name, If the Lord decides that today is the day of your salvation, you cannot resist his grace. Because if he, the sovereign creator of all things, decides that today you will be saved, you will be saved. You will profess faith in Jesus Christ. You will receive him as your Lord and Savior. You cannot get out of it. Of course, why would you want to? Well, here you are. The Lord comes to you and says, today is the day of your salvation. And you go, what? I appreciate your thought, Lord, but, you know, I'm a little I'm a little busy today. I've got some other things going. I mean, uh, I, I appreciate your offer to take away my sin and give me eternal life and come and dwell within me and, and, and give me all these blessings and eternal joy. But, you know, I would rather stay just like I am, at least for the time being. Okay? I like my own sin. They're my good friends. I like my own behavior. I don't want to change anything. Now, it may not be much, but it's all I have, and it's mine, and I want to keep it for a little bit. So when I'm ready, Lord, then I'll get in touch with you, okay? And then we can talk about you changing my life. Now, that would be crazy, okay? That would be crazy, but yet there are some people who think that's the way it is. No, I'm just not ready for salvation. If the Lord came to you today and said, today is the day of your salvation, you would say, yes, it is, because you would have no choice, nor would you want it any other way. Such is the grace of our Heavenly Father. Thankfully, it is impossible to reject this inward call. You might reject my invitation to believe. That's an external call. You hear it with your ears. When the Lord calls you, he calls you here. It is an internal call. It cannot be rejected. For, you know, you may say, Lord, I'm just happy as as a a pig in slop here in my sin, and I don't want to do anything else. But when the Lord calls you, you are, metaphorically speaking, a pig in slop. You are an individual in your sin. You can't get out of it. And he calls you and reaches in and draws you out of that, breathes life into you, bestows upon you grace upon grace, and you can't even imagine it. But what you know is that you were a sinner one day, and now you are a child of God. He calls you by name. He says, you are my own, bought and paid for by the death of of my perfect son, Jesus the Christ. His grace washes away our sin. It washes away those practices, those habits, those attitudes. Those things are forgiven. Nothing but grace could do this. Nothing but our Heavenly Father could do this. We couldn't do it on our own. It is from him. Okay, Randy, you say, Where do you get these crazy ideas? Okay, crazy. This is crazy talk, isn't it? What do you mean that I don't have any part in my salvation? What do you mean that I am so sinful that I could never decide to follow Christ on my own? What do you mean that I can't resist God's grace? That it can't be according to my own timetable? What do you mean the Lord must come and save me because I'm totally dead in my sin? Where do you get these ideas? Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read for us today. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Pretty much sums up our state, doesn't it? Now, it doesn't say you were kind of dead. It doesn't say you were half dead. It doesn't say you were on the operating table trying to get life back into. It says you were dead, and we all know what that means. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, "...of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience." those are, That's the one that some people worship on the 31st. That would be Satan. "...among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest." But God... Okay, Here, here is the interjection of the Lord. Here is what we were, dead in our trespasses... We formerly walked in those ways. Paul is looking back and saying that's how we formerly were. And he's saying, this is what you were, dead in your trespasses. You were a slave to the things of this world. You were a child of the God of this world. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. You see, that's the, that's the portion there. I didn't do it. God made me alive because I was dead. Dead people don't come back to life unless God makes them come back to life. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He has done this so he might show us these surpassing riches in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is the gift? Faith is the gift. He gives us faith. He says, here, take this faith. Now I'm going to save you by grace. You exercise that faith once it has been given to you. It is not a result of works that no one should boast. Okay? Now, we could often stop there and say that's all about justification. That's about the Lord coming and changing our lives and bestowing upon this, this grace, for we are saved by grace alone. We... In the midst of that, we also see that we are blessed with all these surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are also saved for a particular purpose, and that is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, beforehand, that kind of leaves the door open. That's like Christ is going to return soon. Okay? This is beforehand. When is beforehand? Turn back a page to the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 4. I'll go verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessings just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, when were these works prepared beforehand for us to do? Before the foundations of the world. Just when he had chosen us in Christ, before the foundations of the world. It doesn't say when we were three. It doesn't say when we were in our mother's womb. It doesn't say... At the time, of 1517, at the time of the Reformation, it says, before the foundations of the world. Now, now, our, our minds are finite. I don't know when the foundations of the world was. But whenever the foundations of the world was, we had been chosen in Christ before then. Before then. You want to talk about a God who has a perfect plan for us, a God who loves us, who cares for us, cares for us enough to choose us before he has even made the world. He had said, Randy, on such and such a date, you will come to faith because I will extend my grace to you and my grace is irresistible and your life will forever be changed. Now. Think back to the day of your salvation. Perhaps it was, it was like mine. Somebody was up front preaching from the word. They took a, at the end, they took a break and said, today is the day of salvation. Pray with me. And perhaps you prayed. Maybe it was put up your hand and you put, maybe it was go forward and you went forward. We only did those things because God had saved us. Raising your hand doesn't save you. Going forward doesn't save you. Praising, pray, praying the prayer is simply an exercise of the faith that God gives you, a response to the grace that he has bestowed in your life, response to that salvation. Before the foundations of the world, he had chosen us in Christ. And what do we know? When we are chosen in Christ, God says, You're in my hand. Can you ever be taken from the security that you rest in in me? Never. The Gospel of John is very, very clear. Once you are his, he never changes his mind. He never says, well, you know what? You were pretty good last, last year, but you haven't been doing so good this year. So I think I'm going to drop you from the list. Okay, And if you ever get your stuff together again, maybe I'll pick you back up. No, the Lord never does that. Once he has given us the faith, once he has bestowed that grace upon us, we are secured in our salvation and our lives are forever changed. That security does not give us license to go do whatever we please. It's certainly not. That security is the motivating factor to, to live boldly for the things of Christ. Who should we fear? We fear no man. Why? Because my security is in Christ. Who can destroy me? They might be able to destroy this body. But can they take my soul? No, it rests in Christ. Because it is His grace that has saved me. It is the Heavenly Father that secures me. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit that is the down payment of my salvation. The presence of the Spirit seals me in that. should never be afraid. If we boast in anything, we boast in Christ. Because Paul says what? I don't have anything to preach. I only preach Christ and Him crucified. Well, 500 years ago, when Martin Luther began to study the book of Romans, he saw within those pages this thing called grace. He saw that this grace is freely bestowed by our Heavenly Father. It is not earned. It is not metered out in little bits. And so no longer did he attempt to earn that grace himself. Martin Luther was famous as a good monk. He would deprive himself of food. He would sleep on the hard floor. Every once in a while, he would whip himself. He would make pilgrimages. And it was at a time as he was going up the steps, and the name of the church escapes me in Rome, where he's on his his knees. And and you would pray so often up so many steps. And he's about three-quarters of the way up. And if you got to the top, it was like an indulgence, and, and a portion of your sin was, was, was wiped off. And he got about three-quarters of the way up, and this, these words of Romans kept going through his mind, these things of grace. And he got up and left. And you can imagine the shock looked on everybody's face as he walks down the steps. And they're going, but you were almost there. You were almost at the top of the steps. You, you, you know what? You're giving up. And he says, I don't have to give up anything because God has given it to me. God has given me this grace. Now, fast forward 500 years to today. Most of us, I would say, in this room has probably had that experience of grace. I don't know about everybody, but Christ has opened our eyes to our need for salvation. He has moved in our lives. He has bestowed that grace. We have received it. We have confessed with our mouths because we have believed with our hearts. Whether or not we understand all the finer points of Reformed theology is not a determining factor to get into heaven. The determining factor is your faith in Jesus Christ, okay? But whether or not we understand the application of this in our lives is very important. It is very, very important. We will stand before the Lord, and, and, and I, I'm just paraphrasing, okay? I, I don't know if this is exactly what would happen, but we're going to paraphrase here. Imagine that you have close your eyes in death, death, and it's just a blink, okay? And there before you is Christ. And he says something like this. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into the rest that I have prepared beforehand for you. You fought the good fight. You finished the race. Now tell me, what did you do with the grace that I gave you? Now that's not a prerequisite to getting into heaven, because Christ has done the work. But it is part of that those, those things that we offer that lay at the feet of Christ, those works done for his glory. And you might say, well, I did my best to raise godly children. I studied your word and I taught it to others within my church. And he's going to say, that was great. Those are good things. Those are good things. What else did you do? I gave you so many blessings. What else did you do with those blessings? They were abundantly bestowed. What did you do with the overflow? Remember, you were dead and I gave you life. Who around you knew that I gave you life? Did you live as if you had been dead and now you had received the new life? Did you, could you hardly contain the new life that I gave you? And what will we say? We'll say, you bet! It just oozed from me. Are we going to say, well, I don't know. What did you expect out of me? He says, well, it's right here I expect out of you. <laughs> it's right in, your, in the Word. Now, my friends, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad about their Christianity. Remember, I, I have to chew on this all week, so I've already examined myself, and I've found myself wanting, okay? i found myself weak in some of these areas, in some of these application areas, that, that if the Lord were to ask me, Randy, did, did, the, did the blessings that I bestowed upon you, did they overflow, did they change others' lives? And I'm thinking, I've gotten a lot of blessings. I don't, I don't know if I've done done what the Lord expects from me yet. I've bestowed upon you grace, Randy. So I have to say, did I bestow that same type of grace upon others in my life? Do I bestow it upon my wife? Do I bestow it upon my girls? The people that I love, the people that I know, the people that I don't know that are brought into my life for some reason. Am I a giver of this grace? Am I a bestower of what I have been what has been bestowed upon me? I remember when, when my dad was alive, we were talking and he said, well, Randy, he was probably 60, 61, 62. He says, taking me all these years to figure this out. And I said, what are you talking about, dad? He said, for years I was concerned about, you know, well, I'd get it. I worked really hard and, and I'd get it. And I'd wonder what am I supposed to do with it? And he says, I finally figured out what I'm supposed to do with it. He says, I give it away. He says, as fast as I can make it, I'm giving it away, and when I give it away, it seems like there's more that comes in. And I'm sorry, are you talking about just about money? He says, I'm talking about everything in my life. He said, the more I seem to get, the more I can give away. And and it's not like I create this vacuum over here. It's as if the Lord keeps shoveling it on top of me. And I'm afraid if I quit giving it away that he might quit. Uh, I'm like, well, sounds good, Dad. (laughs) It sounds like you got it. And he did. He did. Now, to the God of this world, the one that is celebrated every day by excess and selfishness and greed and anger and heart of hearts and gossip and envy, this is Satan. And those are some of the things that he loves. He loves that selfishness, he loves the hardness of heart. Satan is the God of this world and he is a taker. He takes joy, he takes peace, he takes our confidence. He takes whatever he can get a hold of and tries to corrupt it. Grace is a giver. The grace of Jesus Christ is bestowed upon us like this, with both hands. He's he's feeding it to us. Satan's trying to take it, and Christ has given it. The question is, are we given it as well? Years ago, back in the 40s, there was this big conference. People gathered from all the religions of the world academics, you know, all the eggheads that get there and from the ivory towers, and they tried to think about what made every religion special. And, and, the, and the topic of Christianity came up. What makes Christianity unique? And they were debating, it's the resurrection, it's the incarnation. You know, all those academics, they're getting together, chewing on one another. And C.S. Lewis, who was a professor of ancient literature showed up at this conference and he's sitting there and watching all this uh, arguments going on he said what's what's the what's the rumpus about what's going on and somebody said they're trying to determine what makes christianity unique and c.s lewis said it's grace every place else god's love has to be earned in christianity it is grace it is bestowed upon us where sin abounds grace abounds all the more Friends, if we've been saved by grace alone, we have to give it away. We can't hoard it. We can't say, this is my grace. No, I've showered it upon you. Go and be a giver of that grace in the same way. No longer be a taker. Don't be a consumer. The the stash of grace is so great that we could never expend it all. We have to give it away. Let's pray. grace alone not our works not anything we could do and this grace comes to us at one point in salvation but it doesn't stop there it is continually poured into our lives lord you do this in such abundance so often we get consumed with the things of our own lives Consumed with the struggles, and these struggles are real, Lord. We don't minimize these. These are things we have to face each and every day. But we are never out of your care. If you have grabbed a hold of us and changed us and breathed life into us and given us grace, we can never run away from you. It doesn't matter our struggles. doesn't matter whether they're small or great. You are there sustaining us. It doesn't matter if we stray from the path. Your grace is there to grab us and bring us back, to forgive us of our sins. And your grace calls us to something that is far beyond ourselves. Lord, we don't even know how to thank you for this. Other than to give it in the same way that we have been given. Show us how to do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Make me Savior, holy Thine, let me feel the